This episode is brought to you by Horse Records. Horse Records has the online platform to record all your data in the one place. Horse Records make it effortless to manage pedigrees, registrations, photos, foal calculators, and much, much more. One horse or 54, Horse Records have you covered. Head to www.horserecords.com to start managing your herd today. From the I just need to take five and just go away and recover. <laughs> Not even high pressure, I don't know the word to describe it. <laughs> From the saddle. I'm Caitlin Hewitt and this is From the Saddle. The Great Western Hotel, circa 1996. A voice echoed calling the names of the cowboys and cowgirls that night. Little did they know he'd still be holding a microphone in the rodeo arena 28 years later, announcing for Australia's largest rodeo and being witness to some of the most significant changes and impacts, greatest moments and competitors that have all been a part of the Australian rodeo industry to date. Randall Spann is no stranger to a microphone and we are honoured to have him in front of ours today to share his journey. From the saddle. From the saddle. Randall, thank you very much for joining me. Your voice is not foreign to the competitors and spectators around the nation, as you are the most well-known rodeo announcer. How are you? Yeah, very well, thanks, and thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Mate, it all happened a bit mysterious, well, not mysteriously, but randomly, I guess, ending up in the rodeo arena with the microphone. How did you get the task on that very first day? Mate, it was it was funny because I I've always been involved in um, in radios, but never had any intentions of of becoming an announcer. But um, I was actually going back to the Great Western days when they used to have the bull riding in the small arena there, and I was actually out at uh, Robert McPhee's place showing horses and. Dugan rang me and said that their announcer that they had been using had pulled a pin, so I needed to go in there and help him out and do it. I said no, and he said, well, I'm coming to get you. (laughs) So basically I finished what I was doing and I went in and um, I'd done that night and, yeah, I've done it ever since. Right. So what era are we talking? Oh, mate, that would be about 1996, I'd reckon. Yeah, right. Thereabouts, yeah. They were good years for the radio, weren't they? They were great years, yeah. Around that era and a little bit before was was the best years, I reckon, yeah. A lot of people know the Great Western for what it is now, but what was it like back then? It was better than what it is now. I I remember I then started to do a bit more work in there and uh, it was just, we'd have that place humming on bull ride nights. Like, that'd be every Friday night and in this little arena with two shoots and you couldn't pack any more in. They were swinging off the rafters and hanging out of houses next door and it, the atmosphere oh. was just absolutely electric. It was, no, it was, I'll never forget it. I remember sitting in that crowd and seeing people hanging out of those windows next door. I forgot about that. Yeah, well, that's all that's gone now, but um, there was an old one-legged bloke, old Pop and Mick, that used to live next door there. They were like your two local old drunks, and <laughs> and everyone would get up in there. That was behind the shoots there where the mango trees are, and they'd all get up in the houses there. They'd be everywhere. No, it was, they were great days. So from memory, 
you walked into the pub, you walked around to the back. Now, it would have been back then and probably a third of the size of what it is now. Oh, yeah. It's smaller. I'm, I'm thinking, Caitlin, yeah, it would have been smaller, I think. And back then, all it was was, uh, like you said, you'd walk in through the, the doors of the pub and you'd walk straight out the back or off the street there and, and that's where the loading ramp was and the, the Sammies would just back in onto there and they'd stay parked there. That's right. So yeah. Until, yeah, for the duration of the bull ride, and then they'd load them up and head out with them. And the arena was all timber? Yeah, it was uh, iron bark, round iron bark posts and, and cable, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I, I'd forgotten all about that that house next door and people hanging out of it. Yeah, no. <laughs> and the mango trees, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, mate, they say that when a space is a lot smaller, you fit, you fit a lot more people in, which creates the atmosphere and it's more electric and it intensifies compared to, you know, your stadiums and, and things like that. Yes and no. Um, I think it all depends on on what the rodeo is and where the rodeo is at. But certainly, I don't care where you went back in those days, there was not a rodeo or, or a bull ride around that had the, the electricity in the crowd that was there. It was just, you could feel it humming as you're driving down the road. And as you got out of your car, it was just like, man, oh, man, it's going to happen here tonight. It was unbelievable. Yeah, the music was loud. Yeah. And yeah. it was good. It was good country. Yeah, no, it was great. I'll, yeah, I'll never forget those days as long as I live. Speaking of those days... For a lot of people that listen to From the Saddle, it was probably before their time. What are some of the most significant, I guess, changes that you've been witness from 1996 to now? Well, it's, it has probably changed a fair bit. Even so, you, like your smaller rodeos have, have probably got more professional. Um, they run more to a to a specific time, like back when I was doing full rodeos, it was nothing to turn up and start a rodeo at, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon and, and walk out of the arena at two or three o'clock in the morning. They were yeah. just sort of long, drawn-out shows where today they're, I guess because it's it's got more professional and um, more professionals are involved in the sport, It's uh, they've worked it out that a, a performance only needs to be three or four hours to get the maximum out of your crowd. And, I mean, you, you can't expect your arena personnel or, or kids or families to, to sit there for 10, 11 hours or eight hours even. I mean, it just, the novelty wears off. You want them short and sharp. And, and I just think it, that's probably one of the biggest changes. And and maybe the way the Cowboys dress, I guess, has changed a, a fair bit too. Like back in those days, uh, yeah, bronc riders or bull riders or whatever it might be, they'd all turn up in, in their Cowboy gear and they'd leave in their Cowboy gear where today you see a lot of young fellows, they'll turn up in a T-shirt and a cap and they'll put their cowboy uniform on just before it starts and they'll change as soon as they're finished. You go back to the 90s and, you know, it was it was simple. It was Wranglers. Yep. Wranglers for the men, you know, a nice printed button-up shirt. The women had all the colours in their Rockies and their Lawmans and, and Wranglers. Now there seems to be so much more available, I guess, in sense of fashion. But like you said, there are competitors now that, you know, they turn up in in shorts and slip on shoes and, you know, shirts they pulled from their gear bags. I guess it's a different era. I don't know. Do you do you feel like there's some sense of pride that's been lost somewhere along the way? 
Well, I think it's that, Caitlin, and, and also if you go back to the to the 80s and, and early 90s, probably more of your competitors were actually off the land yeah, and okay. that was the way they dressed from day to day. So they were just dressing the way that they would normally dress. And today a lot of competitors aren't off the land. I mean, they, they might be young fellas that mum and dad have been on the land and they've, you know, they've left school and they've gone to become a diesel fitter and, or, or, or a builder or an electrician or something like that. So they've moved away from that every day. Um, type dress code that that most young fellas wear on the land. So I guess you, you know it's it's something to do with that. I, I think the cowboys is still there, but it's it's just sort of yeah the dress rules or code I guess have certainly changed in, in that respect. Which I sort of think is a little bit sad, and maybe that's because I can relate back and I dress the same as what those guys did back then, and, and I still do every day. So it's um I, I guess I relate back to those days a little bit more, but I just like that. You know, when you, you turn up there and you see cowboys dressed and they're neat, they're tidy, and it just, to me, that's what makes them professional. The rodeo industry cops a lot of flack for, you know, animal welfare, drugs, you know, whatever it may be, right? Whether you're a competitor that does it, you know, one weekend out of the year or whether you do it weekend, week out, ultimately, you represent the sport and industry. I wonder if people comprehend that or, or think of that. I don't think they really do. And I guess in reality, Caitlin, it's probably no different to footballers. I mean, they're, they're looked up to professional footballers. They're paid big money. They go out and they do some stupid things. It's no different. Kids look up to those people and that, you know, they should be role models to me for those kids to look up to and say, gee, when I grow up, I want to be just like him. And, and I used to do that when I was young. I, I think a little bit of that sort of has disappeared um, you know, and, and animal welfare and everything like that. And there's, look, whether it be rodeo, football, whatever, there's drugs involved. Not to me, it's it's there, and somehow we need to try and, and get rid of it. Uh, you'll never get rid of the animal welfare side of things. Unfortunately, that's only going to get tougher. Where you know we've got to be on our game and be more proactive and, and make sure that that when we're in the arena and something does go wrong, we manage it to the best of our ability to keep it professional and and make sure that that animal is what comes first in rodeo, and and that's the way professional competitors treat that animal. It's it's just it's the number one thing at a rodeo is the animal is number one. Randall, you said earlier in the interview that, you know, you were around rodeos growing up, but you didn't specifically, you know, grow up to think that you were going to be announcing them. What were your involvement as a kid in rodeos? Were you a competitor or what were you? Well, I always wanted to be a bull rider and I I did ride bulls for six or seven or eight years, but man, I was was dead set hopeless. (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah, I I, I got on a lot of bulls, but I never rode too many. But I enjoyed it and and I wouldn't change it. If I had my time again, I'd do exactly the same thing, but probably um, I'd work it out a little bit quicker, I guess. But um, then I went team roping and and then I sort of started the announcing and I, I was always a believer that you're either a competitor or an announcer because to me, it, and I've seen it happen over the years where you've got announcers that are competitive as well and they hand the microphone to Joe Blow and you go, oh dear, that's not real good. Yeah. So to me it was either one or the other and, and I chose the other because I knew that I was going to get a check each and every time I turned up. So that suited me. Mate, what was the pay like back when you first started? It's, it's not about the pay, obviously, because it was, it was very ordinary. 
I don't know, mate. I think to do a bull rod, I was getting around $150 and maybe a full rodeo was $250, maybe $300. Maybe. So let's say max $300. And like you spoke about back in the 90s, rodeos went for, you know, 10, 11 hours. Yeah, work it out over an hour. It's not much. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Randall, how many rodeos would you announce at every year in your prime? Like now you, you're pretty much semi-retired from it, but in your prime, how many per year? Mate, when we were flat, we would be doing 45 to 50 rodeos and bull rides a year. It was it was solid. There's weekends where you do, you know, a couple of bull rides and a rodeo or or something like that. But it was, yeah, it was, it was hectic. and. I don't know, you, you, I, I loved it. I just couldn't get in the car quick enough on a Friday afternoon to get going and it was it was great. But, yeah, like you said, I've, sort of, I've slowed down a lot now. I'm pretty much more than semi-retired, I guess. But, you know, it was great. They were good days and, and yeah, I wouldn't change it for anything. I'd do it all over again. So who were your travel buddies? I had a few different ones. Um, Glenn Shelley from Nebo, he was a, a steer wrestler. We had Peter Wallace. Oh, Pete, he's one of the best bull riders that we've ever seen and uh, now he's going on to be one of the best stock contractors. I was about to say that, there yeah. Is. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, you know, we, we had our mates and, and we had a few different cars and, you know, there'd be four or five of us in four or five different cars and, and we'd just chop and change and your turn to drive and your car this weekend, so away we'd go. But it was generally, you know, the likes of Pete Wallace's, the Glenn Shelley's, the uh, Jared DeGuara's, those sort of blokes, yeah. I get the sense it was, you know, mateship and family. Yeah, it was. It was. We used to, yeah, there was a fair bit of larrikinism going on, as you can imagine. You, you know, And back then it was if you were doing close rodeos, you, let's get them finished to get back to the Great Western before it shuts. And <laughs> so, yeah, there'd be a fair bit of um, hooliganism going on on the roads and, and speeding and that sort of thing. But there was we never had anyone that was drink driving or anything like that. And we were always pretty sensible about it until we got to our destination where it was party time. And once we got there, we, uh, we let our head down and had a lot of fun. So the pay wasn't great. What made you keep going back? The love of it. It was just the love of it. I I had a, a lot of passion for what I was doing and, and it meant a lot to me. And I'd get annoyed with myself if I, I'd walk out of there and, and I'd think, shit, I could have done a better job than that. It would just eat at me. So I would make sure that I corrected what I, I thought wasn't good enough for next weekend. You know, it was, and I'd go mustering, and I, I would just—that's what I'd be doing. Would be announcing a rodeo while I'm riding along mustering. It was if someone heard me, they'd think I was bloody mad. But. Practice makes perfect. Yeah, you no, know, it was fun. So doing it for as long as you have, you'd be now announcing the sons and daughters of the cowboys and cowgirls of the past. How does that feel? It's weird. Mm-hmm. It is weird, and it's and it's happening more and more now. You know, you you go back to the likes of Mount Isa for this year, for instance. Scotty Fraser was he's probably one of the greatest all around cowboys that that we've ever had. He's from Wilmington in South Australia, and this year his son turned up at at Mount Isa, and he's ended up in he's only a young fellow, I think he's seventeen, and he's ended up in the. No, he can't be 17. He must only be 16. He was in the junior bull ride, the second debut bull ride, and the open bull ride. And boy, oh boy, there's a lot of his father in him. It's just, it, but it's a buzz to it's a buzz to see those those kids coming through. And yeah, I, I guess not many people get the opportunity to to do that or hang around long enough to do what I'm doing now. So it's no, it's great to see, and, and it's good to follow them on and and see where they end up. You know, no, it's great. And I guess it keeps a part of the history. 
into today as well. Yeah, it does. It's it, it's good because you know that you know, and, and a lot of guys you'll be calling them out as fifth, sixth generation cowboy, and um, you know that's good. It's great for the sport, and and they're the guys that are, are trying to make the sport better as well. So it's it's good for the sport, and it's yeah, it's it's just great for radio. What do you believe it takes to be a good competitor in this era? Oh, well, it's not about the money um, because the, the prize money's just not there. Look, it's probably no different to what it ever has been. It's a lot of grit. It's a lot of determination. It's a it's a mind game, rodeo. It's it's very heavily mind involved. You know, you've got to you've got to be sharp in the mind. You've got to be fit. Practice is is what makes anyone good at anything. So um, you, you can't just expect that you're going to turn up and, and jump on a bull that's eight. 900 kilos and and win the bull ride and it just doesn't work like that so there's a lot of a lot of work involved in it right from from day dot and and that's got to continue on right throughout your career and in the day that you lose that want or that try is is probably the day it's it's time to say well i best hang them up because it, you don't get too many second chances in in the rodeo game it's it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when you get hurt and, you know, some guys get hurt more than others, obviously, and that's just the way it is. But you've certainly got to have your wits about you and, and you've got to stay 100% focused. Do you know, growing up, my brother did boxing and he's an Australian champion and, you know, Golden Gloves, Queensland, all that. And then he made the switch to bull riding and my mum made a comment one day that she'd much prefer to watch him ride a bull than be in a boxing arena. Yeah, I guess each to their own... Um I don't know. I think I'd, I'd head the other path. But, yeah, me too. Um, you know, you know, you look at Troy Dunn. Well, you know, he's one of the greatest bull riders that this country's ever seen. He's, he's been a world champion. Well, I just seen something on Facebook yesterday. I think it was that he's just won some boxing tournament up in Mackay. So, you know, he's he's just incredible that bloke, and he's obviously stayed fit and he's he's kept himself fresh in his mind and alert. And you know, it's I'd rather be. Rather be, I don't know, bull riding, boxing, it's six and one half a dozen of the other, isn't it? You're going to get a bash in either way you go. You know, fitness is one thing. You you have to be fit to do the sport. You've got to, yeah, you've got to be fit. It's, I, I think bull riding or bronc riding or bareback riding is probably more of a mind game. Obviously, because, I mean, you, you're not just standing there going toe-to-toe with someone your same weight. You're, you're matched up with something that's a hell of a lot heavier than you and there's no timeouts. You, you can't blow a whistle and, and stop play. It's once you nod for outside, you, you're out there, you're on your own and you're in charge of your own destiny and you just got to hope everything works out. And that's why, to me, it's, you know, it's it's very important um, and I would tell any young fella that, that, that your mind has got to be just 110%. It's just got to be just there and everything's got to be focused, you know. it's Otherwise, you, you'll come undone. Randall, you would have witnessed a lot of great competitors over the years. Can you spot the good from the not-so-good as they come in? Yeah, you can. It's um, yeah, it's, you, you know, as soon as you like, as soon as I've seen young fella Fraser in Mount Eyes, you go, "Holy dooly, there's a future here!" Or, you know, you you can see it within the first three or four jumps, whether it be a horse or a bull. There's a lot of ability there, and um, it's just up to them from from how far they manage it and take it. But you know, it, it definitely to me it sticks out, and I I don't have any problem seeing it. And and it would have been no different to someone looking back at me and going. Why is he doing this? It's just <laughs> crazy, you know. But yeah, you can certainly pick the good ones from the from the not so good. You know, the one competitor, and I reckon you'll agree with me, that makes it look really easy is Benny Seeds. 
Yeah, no one has made bull riding look as, as easy as Ben has. I announced and travelled with, with his father, Rick, for quite a while, and um, Rick was a great bull rider, bareback rider and bronc rider, but Ben just made bull riding, it's it's just effortless to him. It's like it's he's just a part of it all, you know. It just it happens. It's unbelievable to watch. And if, if, if anyone had the opportunity to watch him, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. And for those that didn't, I feel sad for him because he was certainly something to watch. And just the way he stepped off him, like it was nothing. Yeah, he, he's got that ability. It was just Aaron Clyer is now, I think, a four-times PBR bull riding champion of Australia in a row. Well, he's got that same sort of knack. He doesn't look as effortless as Ben, but getting off, it's just so simple and neat. And, yeah. And that get-off and that getaway is, you know, it's it's important too. So those guys are just lucky that they have the ability and it just happens for them. Randall, do you think there's been, you know, a handful of competitors that have helped shape the industry? Yeah, definitely. You'll always... You'll always have um, the standouts, you know, in, in each event that sort of work together and try and make rodeos. You'll see them get together and, and run a rodeo. And that, that's sort of a little bit what I was talking about before, um, which has made rodeo better as a spectator sport because you're, you're getting performances run quicker in three and four hours and everyone's leaving wanting more. And, and that's exactly how you want it. So without those guys that, that understand um, what an event is about or, or that sort of thing. It, you sort of lack that there and, and we probably never had that years ago. So you see more um, competitor participation in, I guess, committees and that sort of thing now, which is a big bonus for rodeo. It's great and, and I hope we never ever lose that involvement in the sport. Otherwise, we, we could end up back where we were. From the saddle. From the saddle. We know how hard it can be to keep our finger on the pulse when it comes to breeding season. Horse Records has the solution for us all. Designed and managed right here in Australia, Horse Records is your solution to keep track of everything from performance, vaccinations, worming, pedigree, progenies, registrations and much, much more. Head to www.horserecords.com to start managing your herd today. So, Randall, as the main man in the arena trying to keep the the crowd engaged, what do you do? How do you do that? It's one of those things I I think you either can or you can't. You've got to be able to read a crowd. It's probably not so hard when you're at a bull ride or, or rodeo that's only a performance, you know, that's only going for three or four hours. You can sort of step up and, and go hard most of the way through it. But you sort of, when you get to a Mount Isa or something like that, that you're out there for four days, you've sort of got to pace yourself and you, you've got to know an event or an, a, comp- a competitor, you know, that's matched up with something a little special. You've got to, you've got to be able to bring them up and, and get them excited and, and let them have that moment. But then you've also got to have the ability to be able to let them down and just let them cruise along without making it too hard on them or boring you know it's it's a it's a fine line to me to keep them in and i can look at a crowd and if i look at people and they're talking i'm thinking you got to change something up here because they're not paying attention to what's going on music is is so important it you know the right music at the right time it's it's it all comes together in in building an atmosphere but i, I think for me as as far as an announcer goes it's it's definitely that 
create participation and, and knowing when to bring them up and, and when to let them down, when to just let them cruise along and watch. So, Randall, let's touch on Mount Isa. How many years since you've been announcing there? 21 this year. 21 years is incredible. Yeah, it's, it's a long time to do one uh, to do one rodeo, but it's, I, I love going back to Mount Isa. It's, I don't know, there's something about it. It's just, it's one hell of a rodeo to do and, yeah, I just love going back there. It's, it's awesome. Let's go back 20 years at Mount Isa. Paint a picture for us. What did Mount Isa Rodeo look like 20 years ago? Who were some of the big competitors at that time? What was the facility like and the crowd and things like that? The crowd was still, it was still very good. And, it, it, you know, back then it was out of Calcadoon Park and there was a lot of Indigenous people out there. They'd come in the back of cattle trucks and, and just jump out. And it was, it was wild, but, you know, it was, it was a big arena, a massive arena. And that's probably one of the saddest things about leaving that Calcadoon Park was that big arena, you know. It was it was awesome and people would just fill it right around it for the couple of days that you were there. But it was um, totally different. It, like it's a production now. It's Back then it was all you needed to, to run Mount Isa. Obviously it was a lot of uh, Rotarians and volunteers and that sort of thing. But um, you needed two announcers, you needed good stock contractors and you needed your competitors and a music man. And that's what it was, and, and I'll never forget. It was a big catwalk that you walk up and over to get to the other side of the buck and shoots. And I'll never forget walking up over there the, the first time I went out there, and I dead said I was shitting myself because <laughs> it was just, you know, this is big time. And I'm thinking, holy dooly, what are you doing here? Yeah. Uh, and I landed, got there on a plane at I think it was about half past one or something, and I had to start with the, the Friday afternoon performance within two hours, and. I knew a lot of competitors, but I didn't know the bloke that I was co-announcing with. I didn't know the music bloke, and it was um, it was quite daunting. But it's yeah, you know, the competitors was you know the likes of your Scotty Frasers, your Rick Seeds, your Cameron Cogles, your Ricky Rulands, Steve Hiltons, Norm Hiltons, all those blokes, and which was a fantastic era of professional cowboys, you know, bull riders and bronc riders, and. They, they were great days and, and it's, it is sad still to, to not go to Calcadoon and the saddest part about it when you fly over, now you would not even know that there was a rodeo ground there. It's yeah. just all gone, yeah. Incredible. So you said now it's more like a production. You know, there's a lot more involved in terms of the music's got to be right, the atmosphere, you know, there's, there's a big part of it of creating that atmosphere. Yeah, it's, look, the sound, Caitlin, is it's as good as a Jimmy Barnes concert. I mean, the, the people that we work with on the sound are the people that do the sound for all those concerts they have there at the completion of the rodeo and after each night. So you're working with proper professionals in, in their industry. So it's, they make you sound good, which is which is great. So that that's something you haven't got to worry about. But it's, you know, like this year we were, were right to the 11th hour, whether we – we're going to even run a rodeo. We were all up there and waiting and we were all prepared and ready to go, but the government hadn't made a decision and said, yes, you can or no, you can't. So we were still waiting on production crew. There was a hundred and something production crew. We were waiting to, to turn up and set stages up and, and all that sort of thing. It was, it's, it's just amazing what goes into that event now. It's, it's, just, it's truly professional. And it is dead set world class. It's, it's a great event. Well, I guess known as the biggest rodeo in southern hemisphere you have to you have to bring the a game like the audio quality is paramount 
Yeah. You know, if people cannot understand you or hear, then they're not going to want to be there. That is dead right. And I can tell you now that one of the big complaints, Caitlin, that you always got when you walk out of a rodeo arena or someone would call you over to a fence, we can't understand what you're saying. And I say, mate, go over there and talk to the bloke pushing the buttons over there. He's the music man. I can't help you. And, and that can either make or break an event too. So it, it is a very important part of it. It's, it's no point having um, Adele singing at a concert if you've got me doing the music for it <laughs> because it's only going to end up a disaster and, and that's the way, you know, this is. But it, it's so professional in that regard. It's, yeah, it just blows you away. Walking into Mount Isa, your job is to announce. And like you just said, Everything else is taken care of by the army of people that make it happen. And walking into a smaller rodeo and someone walks up to you and says, I can't hear you, talk louder, you know, all that sort of stuff. Do you find that you have to take on that sort of role at the smaller events? Yeah, you do. Um, I was fortunate that I used to travel, the bloke that used to do a lot of the music, DJing at rodeos and bull rides with me was a bloke called Mick Jensen, great bloke and and very, very good at what you would know, Mick, terrific bloke and and we had an understanding and I would just look at him or or something and he would know damn well whether I was cranky or or what we needed to do. So it's very important that you have an understanding and a relationship with someone like that that you work with. It's difficult when you go to a rodeo and you have never worked with the, the DJ there and you, he doesn't know what you're going to do and you don't know what he's going to do. So it, it makes it hard and you've just got to sort of wing it, I guess, and, and get the job done as best you can because, you you know, you've got committees there that are, are paying you to be there and there's a reason you're there. So you've got to give 100% and, you know, if, if there's a complaint after it, which there was quite often, well, you just, you know, I'll take it to the committee, mate, and we'll try and get it sorted for you for next year and, and just do the best you can to, to make it right next time. I guess you become the face of the, the event. Yeah, pretty much. It's... Well, it's all, it's all coming back to you. I mean, it's, like I said, the, the announcer can either make it or break it. It's it's important um, in a lot of regards and respects that that man on the microphone, and it doesn't matter who it is, that he just gets it right and, and makes it work. And, you know, there's nothing worse than I've been to him where you, you just go to a rodeo and you go, oh, dear, <laughs> this is a bit boring. Yeah. It just, it, it just flattens the whole thing, you know. It's, yeah, but it's... Look, some people just committees can't get who they want, so they they don't really have a choice, you know, and it comes down to that a lot of times. So they've just got a a bloke that does the odd camp draft here and there. and So you just got to make do with what you've got. Randall, what do you believe at the moment is the biggest risk to the rodeo industry? I would definitely say animal welfare. It's becoming a... A bigger factor each and every year. It's you know the eyes are upon us, and the the thing is, everyone's got a camera these days with them with their yeah. phone. So yeah, um, you can't afford to see. No one can afford to slip up. Even a, a competitor riding a, a calf roping horse or or something like that. You you know you cannot be seen to be doing anything wrong. And animal welfare is, is so important. It comes first, and you know we we just can't afford to give them an excuse. Otherwise, they're trying to close it down. And if we keep giving them excuses, they eventually will. Yeah. Kay interviewed Shane Iker. Mm-hmm. He spoke about the animal welfare in the rodeo industry and, you know, he said he's sat on boards and committees and had to explain that 
roping a a wiener instead of a calf mm. is actually more dangerous to the horse yeah. than than a calf. And exactly. he he explained that his bucking bulls, they've all got names, they've got personalities, they're the best bloody fed bulls. You know, they're, they're more fed than anyone realises. Exactly. Like stock these days, it's incredible the way they get looked after. Like bulls and, and bucking horses are all bred to buck. That's what they're bred to do. It's, there's, you know, specific breeding programs that they have. You, you've got the likes of your, your Peter Wallaces and, and those sort of blokes, your Gary McPhees, you know, Gill Brothers and, and all those contractors. Well, everything that they do is is bred to buck. It's it's not like they're just, you know, going and catching a Brumby and bringing it in and see if it bucks. Those days are gone, uh, which which is a good thing because that was, you know, actually where you'd see a lot of incidents that they, you know, they didn't know what they were doing, those horses, and they'd, you know, buck and they'd come down, you know, how they shouldn't come down because they didn't have a clue what they were doing. They just put out a flank on them. And so that's how a lot of accidents happen. But these horses today, they're trained and they're, they're professionals, athletes in their own right. And, yeah. and everything, you know, is, is done right for them. They're, they're brought up through the ranks. They're not just run into a rodeo arena for the first time and someone jumps on their back. There's, there's dummies that get put on them. So they they got a full understanding of what they're doing and they know their job. Don't worry yeah. about that. They know exactly what their job is and, and that's probably one big thing that has, has helped the rodeo industry as far as animal welfare is that. I wonder as an industry how we can, I mean, we're never really going to change the minds of the haters. It's just not possible. But what is something that we can do to help educate the uneducated? I don't know if you can do that, Caitlin. I mean, some people's mindsets just can't change. I guess it's it's like eating steak and hating steak. It's it's one of those sort of things. It's look, I think as groups, as committees, as professional associations, um, we need to be seen to be proactive in in that sort of regard, um, and and making sure that the younger generation that are coming through are also um, getting taught and, and trained in that respect as well to make sure that they do the right thing. I, I think if we do that and we travel that path, I think, and we give them less and less, you know, excuses along the way to, to nitpick about something that is, is not even an issue and just make sure our, our young competitors or young people that are involved in rodeo have a, a full understanding of, of how the animal welfare works. Speaking of the young competitors, in the camp draft industry, we ask a lot of the older competitors, what do you see that really irks you? And they'll say, kids put on dangerous horses or horses, I shouldn't say dangerous horses because horses that are just well above them, right? Yep. It would be very similar in the rodeo industry to, to have a kid just sit on a ball for the first time. There would be, you know, clinics and schools and everything within the rodeo industry, Yeah. There certainly is. I mean, nothing makes me more cranky than you go to a rodeo and the potty rides on and, and then you've got mum and dad standing there and they're with their young fella because they're going to put him on a potty and that kid's about to get on and he's standing there and he's just squealing, the tears are running down. It, to me, that's that's not so much about this young fella wants to be a cowboy because it's it's not. He's, he's like, he's petrified. It, that's more about mum or dad wanting to be a cowboy. Uh, if if you know what I mean, yes. so so that sort of thing, and and yeah, there is a lot of schools, and they're becoming more and more. The one thing that we always discuss when we um, we're talking about schools or junior events and and stock to have with them is you, you've got to match. You want if you're having a, a junior bull ride, you want each and every one of those young junior cowboys to 
walk away there with an eight-second whistle behind them. Yeah. You start belting them into the ground and hurting them, you're not going to have them. You break their hearts and it's, you know, you've just got to look after them. So it's becoming more and more of a thing at rodeos where, where stock is, is brought in. And it's not about belting them into the ground. You leave that for the big boys. It's about getting them through to that eight-second whistle and making them feel good and building their confidence and, you know, having them poke their chest out and, geez, that was good. I'm going to go back and do it again next weekend instead of that. oh, man, that hurt. I don't think I'll do that again. You don't want that and you, you don't need it. It shouldn't be a part of it, I don't believe. It's, you know, we're there to encourage and we're there to run rodeos and, and good rodeos and if you want to have a champion there, well, the best way to do it is, is the right way and, and bring them up through the ranks and once they become an open member and, well, they got a full understanding of what it's about then and she's game on. To, to anyone that doesn't understand how it works, if a junior competitor shows interest in wanting to participate in the in the sport, are you sort of saying that they're more so guided into it as in like they're shaped and their, you know, stock is picked to suit those competitors rather than, you know, like you said, belt them to the ground or whatever? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, definitely, Caitlin. You, you go to a school these days, whether it be a bull riding school or a bronc riding school or a bareback riding school, there is stock for all levels, for beginners, for, for guys that have, you know, been on a, a handful or there's, there's stock there for guys that have been on plenty and want to get on something a little better. So they match them up with that. Now, it's, it's about, like I said, it's, it's a confidence-building thing for them and, and you, you can't break that confidence. You've got to build it. So that's the way it is. Even potty riding, you'll go to even Mount Isa. You know, there'll be bigger kids and there'll be smaller kids. Well, unfortunately, it's, it's a bit hard to go out and, and handpick because you don't ever know who's going to get what. So our shoot boss, he tries to match up the smaller potties with the smaller kids and just so you're looking after them and, and not getting them hurt. That's what it's about. Absolutely. Randall, did you ever have the desire to go overseas? Yeah, I did. Um, and I probably should have went, but I, I didn't. I guess I can't change that now. But no, I... I've announced over in um, in New Zealand and all over Australia and Tasmania and, you know, I, I certainly can't complain. But, yeah, I, I wish I did go. I, I probably wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation with you right now. I'd probably just finish the national finals <laughs> <laughs> last week. But anyway, that, that wasn't meant to be and it didn't happen, so there's, there's no point whinging about it. Did you have the opportunity to? Yeah, I did. It was sort of, I was asked to go and do Calgary with them boats over there, but I knocked it on the head pretty quick, so the conversation never went far, and I, I regret that still today, and I, I haven't got a clue why the hell I, I sort of said no. Um, I guess I was just flat out doing what I was doing here, and, and that's, yeah, that's what it was, and knowing what I know now, I um, I certainly wouldn't have said no. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Anyway, that's the way it goes, and you, you, you can't turn the clock back. Well, you know, I've had a lot of fun here, and I certainly, um, yeah, I've got no regrets. What's the best piece of advice given to you during your career? A Canadian bloke once said to me, actually he was the bloke that asked me to go over there and help them, a bloke called Keith Dim Woody. He said, there's one thing I want you to remember. We'd done a school with him down at Warwick when Warwick Rodeo was on. Um, and he said, the, the three words I want you to stick in your head, it's honesty, integrity and professionalism. Just remember hip. That's all you have to do. And that's all you are asked to do when you go to a rodeo and do your job is make sure you do those three things. And I've stuck by that, not only in, in announcing rodeos, but I've, I've also done it in a lot of other areas, you know, in a professional work career as well. Yeah, that is pretty good. Yeah. 
Randall, where do you see the industry going? Oh, look, I I can't see. It's never going to be America. Um, we haven't got the population here or the prize money. You know, you, you watch the national finals over there and they're getting twenty nine, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 to win a round. Well, you know, to win a bull riding title over here, if you win fourteen or 15000 you've had a hell of a year. So I, I can't – it will never be where it is in America. There's certainly a lot of room for improvement as far as running better events, I think. If, you know, if we can get like to what we, you know, spoke about a little while ago, if we can get more competitors involved in more committees and so that everyone's got a, a good understanding of what it takes to run a, a good, sharp, quick rodeo, I think it'll you'll certainly lift the level of it. But as far as – crowds that they get in the States and or in Canada and, and the, the prize money, we won't ever see that here in Australia, unfortunately. Why is that, do you think? Oh, I think it's just a population thing. Like, you, you look at a lot of those competitors over there and, you know, they've got five or six or, or seven sponsors on their shirt. Well, each, each one of those sponsors is, is worth about $15,000 to those competitors. So sponsorship is a big thing. And again, it all comes back to going to rodeos with big crowds and, and that sort of thing. You you know, we go to Mount Isa and over a weekend you might get 35,000, 40,000 people. Um, well, they get that in one performance over there. Yeah. In the, in the three-hour performance. So we just haven't got the, the population that they've got over there. So yeah, it's harder to get sponsors involved in a sport like that as well. Yeah. Well, Randall, I thank you very much for your time today. And I know that you have retired, but I'm sure we'll hear you on a microphone sometime soon. Well, I was supposed to be retired, but me and I, was, they've just come up with another thing, that what they call Road to Rodeo, which I went down and, and emceed the launch of that at Parliament House in Brisbane two weeks ago. So now we're, we're going again. So that's what I said, and we're supposed to be slowing down, not doing more. So we're, we're going to be involved in a couple more. We'll have that one in Longreach, and um, that'll be the first of them. I think that's um, last day of April, first day of May, it's two days with country music and it'll be awesome so that sounds fun we mightn't be slowing down we might be just starting to gear up again you might be well, anyway good stuff well thank you randall and i wish you all the best my pleasure and thanks for having me caitlin thanks to our sponsor horse records i'm caitlin hewitt the founder and co-host of from the saddle i started this podcast because i knew important stories from rural australia weren't being told We hear stories of triumph and tenacity, heartache and loss, from rodeo riders, outback ringers, cattle traders, bronze sculptors, and more. From the Saddle is an independent podcast. It's just us telling stories that matter to our community, and we are so stoked that nearly 100,000 people have joined us for the ride. We're looking for partners this season to help tell these stories because we think they're worthy of being told. They're a part of our history and possibly our future. If you're interested, we'd love to hear from you. 